0: powerful vision has the power to change you and the world around you. If you were to look back at the pivotal moments in history, you would find a prominent person or collection of individuals who had a powerful vision that changed them and the world around them. Next week, I'm going to be talking about one of these individuals when I start a series titled What MLK Would Say Today, and we're going to be looking at this powerful vision that changed Martin Luther King and those that joined him in the civil rights, uh, civil rights movement. And if you don't know anything about what Dr. King said, you probably at least know this part of a speech that he made in Washington, D.C., when he said, I have a dream And Dr. King had this powerful vision that changed him and changed our country. And we most certainly have so much work still to do to fight the evil of racism in America. But the civil rights movement and the powerful vision that they had and that Dr. King had did change our country for the better. Now, some people are visionaries. Some people are able to make a mental picture of a preferred future, to have a clear destination that can drive them forward into the future and carry along people with them. Some are visionaries, but all people, all people are given a divine vision. And so today we are in the second week of a two-week series that we're just starting off the year with titled Taking Aim. And this is all about developing a personal and a collective vision for ourselves in 2021. And last week I shared with you what I think Jesus would say the most important vision is for all of us to have. Because you can have a vision about your finances, and you should, a vision about your personal health, a vision for your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, all those are important places to have a vision. But the most important place to have a vision, according to Jesus, is when it comes to love. He says that the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And to say that love is important is not all that revolutionary, but what Jesus said at the end of his ministry when he was with his disciples for the last time, that was because Jesus said then that a disciple is defined by how they love and that they are to love like Jesus loved. He is the picture. He is the vision of what it truly means to love. And this vision that Jesus had of love, about love, it changed him, and it changed the world around him. In three years, Jesus made such an impact with this powerful vision that we're still talking about it today. But today, what I want to share with you is that Jesus, his vision, it wasn't just for Jesus. It was his vision. There was a uniqueness to it, but his vision wasn't just for him. And so I want to take us to the scripture to talk more about that. And if you're brand new to the Bible, what you need to know is the Bible is divided up into these two main sections. The 39 ancient documents that make up the Old Testament and the 27 ancient documents, most of them letters, that make up the New Testament, that tell the story of Jesus and the movement that he started with his vision that we call the church. There's four theological accounts of the life of Jesus. We're going to be in Mark today. It's thought to be the first one to be written. It is the shortest, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a lot to say. And so we're going to be in Mark, first chapter, first verse. Here's how Mark starts off. His story of the vision that changed Jesus and that changed the world. He said this, the beginning of the good news. What good news? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, and it is indeed so good. The good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet. So right out of the gates, Mark is going to reach back 700 years to the prophet Isaiah as if to say this is about the vision that Jesus has, but it's not just about Jesus. There's a part of this vision that already came before. And what's interesting Is that even though Mark says he's going to quote Isaiah, he starts off by quoting Micah, Isaiah's contemporary, a prophet also uh, living in the time when Isaiah did. And this right here just kind of gives us a little hint about how we should read the Bible. The Bible is complex, it's rich, it's deep. We need to be able to see it in all its wonderful complexity. So he says, I'm going to quote from Isaiah, but he starts off with Micah and he says this. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. This is going to be about your way, but there's going to be somebody that comes before you that helps prepare this way. And then he goes to Isaiah. He says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way. We, Micah just talked about your way that's going to be prepared by somebody else, but now Isaiah is talking about the way. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, on that same night that he said to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. I'm the picture of what it means to truly be loving. Jesus also says, I am the way. Prepare the way. There's going to be people that came before that talked about this way, but there's going to be a uniqueness of this vision to Jesus as well. But it's not just about Jesus. It's bigger than that. And then he goes on, and he says, And so John the Baptist, which happens to be Jesus' cousin, appeared in the wilderness, just like Isaiah said somebody would, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins a baptism of repentance meaning the word repent means to turn around meaning that i was heading in one direction but but i'm going to i'm going to turn around and and head in a different direction another way to think about baptism is that it's a public expression Of a private conviction. Somebody in in the privacy of their own lives, they have this conviction that, hey, look, I've been living according to my own standards, according to my own strength, according to my own understanding of what it means to be loving and good in the world. And, you know, maybe that's worked out some, and and in some ways, you know, it's fallen short. And the older you are, probably the more experience of it falling short you've gotten. Or maybe you've fallen into some sort of addiction. Or maybe you've fallen into some sort of anger problem where you're just justifying your anger. Or maybe you, you have anxiety or maybe you, know, you have worry or maybe you have pride. Something and you're heading in this direction and then you have this private conviction because something in you says that life is about something more than this. And that causes you to want to turn around, to repent, to change your way. Or maybe things are all going well. Maybe things are all going well, but yet, despite having, like, the good job and the good marriage and the good kids and the good everything, but you just realize there's more to it. And so you have this private conviction, and you go to make a public expression. And John, John's out. He's baptizing people. He's inviting them to make a public expression of this private conviction. And I tell you, church, this year I intend to encourage our congregation to get baptized, or if you've already been baptized— To reaffirm your baptism. Because there's something powerful about making that public expression of that private conviction. Now what Mark tells us next is quite remarkable. He says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And he was baptized. Baptism is about repenting for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, he's up in Nazareth around the region of Galilee. And he has his private conviction that he should go down to the river Jordan where John is and get baptized and make this public expression. And in doing so, when we make it a public expression of our private conviction, it's this act of like opening up our hearts. And I don't know why Jesus felt like he needed to repent. Maybe he just realized that there's, there's more to his life, that God's calling him to a larger vision. But either way, he takes the initiative from that private conviction, and heads down to the River Jordan. Mark tells us that just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, being baptized, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. There was no bird there, but rather Jesus saw what looked like a dove coming down. And God uses his imagination to fuel his motivation. When, when Jesus comes down to be baptized and make this public expression of his private conviction that he needs more of God in his life, whatever the case may be, that he's opening up his heart, but he's also opening up everything because Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and strength. And so he opens up his imagination to the work of God and God uses his imagination to later fuel this motivated vision that would change his life and the world around him. And then a voice came from heaven, and it said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And remember, we're in the first chapter of Mark, And this is the first account of Jesus doing something. And so Jesus hasn't really done anything up to this point. And if you read the other accounts, Matthew or Luke or John, Jesus hasn't done any ministry yet. In fact, the only story we have Jesus doing anything is in the Gospel of Luke. And he's like 12 years old. And he stayed behind at the temple talking to some of the temple priests while his family was heading home. And he darn near gives his parents a heart attack because he should have been with them. That's the only thing that Jesus has done. He hasn't done anything yet, and this tells us this very, very, very important principle about the vision of Jesus, the vision of God's love that he has. Because you see, God's pleasure precedes Jesus' performance. God looks down on him and says, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. He has pleasure in Jesus, yet Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Now, I have an example from my life, and I'm almost kind of embarrassed to share it because it's it's such a, a silly example compared to the enormity of what's happening in the baptism of Jesus, but it comes from back in the days when I played football, and if you can see that, I'm not mad in that picture, I'm just trying to look tough. I had prepared my whole career to be a middle linebacker, so that's on defense if you don't know anything about football. And it's like kind of the quarterback of, of the defense, and at my school, there was a tradition of middle linebackers, and after training camp in my varsity season, my senior season, I was slotted to be the starting middle linebacker for the varsity team. We had a good team. I was so excited. My best friend was the other middle linebacker on the team. Uh, the coach I loved, like all, all this. And, and so when the, the, the head coach and the defensive coordinator, they all pulled me into the office right before the start of the season, and they said, you have earned the starting linebacker position, but we do have a good backup behind you, a junior named Pat Durr, who ended up playing Division One football for Northwestern, and he was good. And they said, "Well, the job is yours, we would like you to consider switching over to defensive end, which is a totally different position, different coaches, different group of guys. They said, that's what we think would be better for the team. I, I said, yes. And so I go out to the first practice and no longer am I with this one group of people. No longer do I know how to play this position. I'm in this new position and I'm gonna do this new thing and I'm nervous. I've been given the job as a starter, but I could lose it. I don't know if I'm gonna be any good. And, and I'm going through the early like warm up drills and I'm just like in a funk. I, 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 my heart is just everywhere and elsewhere. And then Coach T, This young guy, he's like a little bodybuilder guy. He comes up to me, grabs me by my face mask, and he goes, Simmons, I was so happy when they said they were giving you to me. It was as if he poured his heart into me. I hadn't done anything yet. I hadn't taken a snap yet at that new position, but before I had done anything, Coach T expressed his pleasure that I was there. I think this is what's going on in the baptism of Jesus. God gives Jesus his heart so that Jesus can give his heart. Before Jesus has done anything, he has this vision. He's opened his heart up to the word of God. He's opened up his imagination to God's work, and he hears this message that says, you are my son, I love you, with you I'm well pleased. And he hasn't done anything yet. God starts it off by giving his heart to Jesus so that Jesus can give his heart. I want to tell you something, and then I want to ask you something. The thing I want to tell you is this. God's message to Jesus, it's not just for Jesus. The vision that Jesus had, is not just for Jesus, and this message that Jesus gets, it's not just for Jesus. And so let me ask you, how would you feel if you heard, you are my daughter? Whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. How would you feel if you heard, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What, I haven't done anything yet, God. I know, I know, but let me just tell you, you are part of my family. You belong here. You're accepted here. Let's just start with that, and I'm pleased to be With you. How would your life be different? How would you feel? Would you have less anxiety? Would you have less worry? Would you care less about like comparing yourselves to other people? How would you feel if each day this message that was given to Jesus but wasn't just for Jesus, if you heard it? Now, the Apostle Paul a leader of the church that comes after Jesus, he starts off actually as a persecutor of the church. So not only has he not done anything of value, in fact, he's gone against the church and he's harmed the church. But at a certain point, god he has an encounter with the love of God who picks him out of the blue and says that I love you and I have a purpose for you. And Paul ends up becoming one of the greatest leaders of the church. In his letter to the Romans... He says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still perfect, while we were still achievers, while we were still popular, while we were still pretty, while we were still just liked by everybody, while we were still what? Sinners, the Apostle Paul says, while we were still broken in a certain way, while we were still missing the mark with our lives in a certain way, while there were still some things that we did that we knew were destructive, but yet we do them over and over again. While we were still in the state, Christ died for us. And that was a demonstration of God's love for us. Because you see, God gives you his heart, so you can give your heart. Last week, we talked about how the most important thing to have a vision is to be able to love in this world like Jesus loved, to be able to give your heart to this world, to show grace and love to others, because that's what makes a difference. But before we do that, we need to understand the vision that Jesus had that leads to that. It starts with the fact that God has already given his heart to you, and to the you next to you, and to me and everyone around me. His heart is on the table. The offer is there. And if we can receive it, then we will finally be able to give our heart wholeheartedly. Now, just so you don't think that this is some sort of fluffy, like, feel-good message, let me take us back to Mark's account of the vision of Jesus. He says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days. Being tested by Satan. And Mark doesn't tell us of what the tests are. You can read about that in Matthew and in Luke. And if you do read those accounts, what you'll find is is a description of how Satan tests us. And, And it's really simple Satan tests by twisting the truth. You see, it's true that your performance matters. But Satan wants to twist that and say that you have to perform in order to give God pleasure. Where the truth is, is that God's pleasure starts before your performance. It's true that there's some brokenness in your life, but Satan's going to twist that and he's going to say you are broken. It's true that that you need God's grace, but Satan's going to twist that and say that your particular blend of sin and brokenness is beyond God's grace. Satan's going to take the truth. It's true maybe that you are better at some things than some people, but Satan's going to twist that truth and say you're better than people. Satan works by twisting the truth. It's true that you can do things on your own, that there's a sense of self-sufficiency you have, but Satan's going to twist that and say that you have no need for the all-sufficient one. You have no need for something bigger in your After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. That's the good news. And then he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Turn around from this other message that says you have to like, earn your way in, that, that you, you have to do it all on your own. Repent from that and believe the good news that just as you are, just where you are, God takes pleasure in you. God loves you. It doesn't mean that you don't need to deal with sin. Again, Paul says, while we're still sinners, we have a brokenness. There's evil in this world. There's there's difficulty. There's tragedy. Yet, if we're going to be effective, if we're going to love like Jesus, it starts with the good news that God's pleasure precedes our performance. It's not that our performance creates God's pleasure. It's it's embracing the fact that God loves us right where we are. That's what allows us to be a conduit of God's love in this world. And Jesus says the time has come to believe this so that you can get over yourself and begin to be effective. It's time to believe. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for? It's the beginning of a new year. What are you waiting for? Maybe you've heard this before. What what are you waiting for to really embrace this? I'll tell you. It's found, as Mark goes on in the narrative, he tells us this. He says, this is so good. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who would later be nicknamed Peter, Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what they do. That's how they earn their living. And Jesus comes along and says, come, follow me. I have this different way for you to be in the world. And I will send you out to fish for people. I'm going to give you a much bigger vision for your life. And here's the key verse. At once, they left their nets and followed him. At once, they stopped waiting. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. In other words, they let go of their self-sufficiency. Their nets is how they provided for themselves. They let go of that thing that made them think that they could provide and do it all on their own in order to take hold of the all-sufficient one. And for them, it was this literal let it go. But I think for all of us, there's a spiritual and internal emotional letting go. Because again, God gives you all of his heart. So you can give all of your heart. And the most important vision that you could have for 2021, the most important vision you could have for 2022, the most important vision you could have in your life, at least according to Jesus, and if you believe Jesus, then you would believe this, is that you would love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. By this, by how we love one another, That's what defines us as disciples of Jesus. And the picture of love, the vision of love, is the life of Jesus. And Jesus' love, it starts with embracing God's love for him. And that vision, it's for Jesus. But it's not just for Jesus. So the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn around. Leave the good news that you're my daughter, who I love. With you, I'm well pleased. You're my son, who I love. With you, I am well pleased. Out of that love flows our love into the world. Let us pray. Lord, at the beginning of this new year and these turbulent times, Our world, of course, needs more love. But not just any form of love, a love that is patterned off of the picture of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, in the writings of St. Paul and the other letters in the New Testament. But that love, Lord, it starts with your love for us. The Gospel is about who you are and who we can be when we embrace who you are. You're a God that loves us. Before we do anything, it's a love that can change us and change the world. Help us to repent, to turn around and receive this good news. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.